It's the sorsum corda. Sorsum corda. Lift up your hearts. And, and you could translate that literally, um, hearts up. Say to the congregation, hearts up. And I mention that because there is a commentator on the book of Revelation. He said that from beginning to end, Revelation is a sorsum corda. It is a book that says to Christians, lift up your drooping hearts. Take courage. Endure to the end. Why? Because God's victory is sure. Hearts up. Now, I want to preach from this book of Revelation this morning, chapter 7. And uh, John is writing this book to Christians in Asia Minor. And they're facing increasing persecution from the state. Pressure and persecution from the Roman Empire. There's a clash between Christianity and Rome because Rome is saying, Caesar is Lord. And Christianity says, Christ is Lord. And so, John foresees that this clash is going to get worse, and it certainly did. At various times in the early church, Christians faced this stark choice between life and death, either denounce Christ, worship the emperor, or remain loyal to Christ and be executed. And so John is given this vision where he knows that things are going to get worse, and yet he says to Christians, hearts up, the victory is sure. Be faithful. Stay courageous. God's kingdom, God's people will triumph. Why is John giving these Christians and us this message? What is the source of his certainty? Well, it is a vision that God gave him. If you look at the beginning of this book, it starts off with John making this claim. This is Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him to show to his servants the things that soon must take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. John had this revelation given to him by God as he was worshiping the Lord. So John is viewing things from a dimension of reality that is beyond our normal dimension of reality. He is viewing the circumstances through God's eternal view. And that's the basis for his hope in this message of, of certainty. I want to say something before we dive into Revelation 7 here. Say something just about this idea of another dimension of reality because I was struck a few weeks ago by some of the comments that scientists were making when that first image ever published of the black hole appeared. You remember seeing that? What a dramatic story and uh, the, 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 the scientific knowledge that made that possible is astounding, staggering feat of scientific um, ingenuity to get that image but some of the scientists were making comments like this. They were saying, within a black hole, there exists a reality that we don't 
understand. Space and time, maybe, this is a matter of a speculation, and uh, scientists have fun with this, science fiction has fun with this, but they say according to Einstein's theory of relativity within a black hole, time and space curves infinitely and the law of physics as we know it cease to operate. And uh, I was fascinated by that. Now, that's about all I know. Don't ask me any questions beyond that. I'm just saying what the experts say. But the point is this. Even the scientists are recognizing that there is a border between our reality and other dimensions of reality that we don't fully understand. And we might say that through this vision, John has crossed a border into another reality. This is the reality of the presence of God, the eternal presence of God, the heavenly throne room of God. And he receives a vision of hope for the future. And I want to just talk about that vision and what he brings out here. There's so much in this passage of Scripture, and you know, those of you who studied Revelation, it's filled with mystery and symbolism and there's lots of different ways to interpret the book and we're not going to have time to go into into that this morning i just want to pick out a couple of things here this is a vision that assures us of god's salvation for his people and this is a vision this is the reason why it's hopeful it assures us that god will provide a shepherd for his people we have the assurance of salvation and we have the hope of a great shepherd. So, John sees at this point in the vision a great multitude. He says, no one could number this multitude. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne. The throne of God. That is an image that dominates this passage of Scripture and this section of Revelation. The throne of God. Mentioned, I think, six times in this passage this morning. The throne of God, the throne of God, the throne of God. And there's a great multitude standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And the Lamb, of course, is Jesus. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the sacrificial Lamb of God. And this multitude from all nations... It's clothed, they are clothed in white robes, which is a symbol of purity and righteousness. And they're waving palm branches, which are symbols of victory and celebration. Remember, Jesus came into Jerusalem, people waving palm branches. Also a national symbol of Israel, a symbol of the people of God. And so this is a, this is a theme, this is a scene, rather, of victory and celebration. And they're crying out, Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Praising God for salvation. Now, this word salvation is a multifaceted word. There are layers to this word salvation. Oftentimes when people, a Christian will say, um, I have been saved um, what they mean, usually what we mean by that is that I am right with God based on what God has done for me in Jesus Christ. My sins have been forgiven. 
I've been given new life through the Holy Spirit. I've been given the hope of heaven. I am saved. I am right with God because of God's grace and mercy that He has shown me in Jesus Christ. And that certainly is a legitimate definition and dimension of salvation all throughout the New Testament. That idea is there. We are saved. That means we are right with God because of Jesus Christ. But there's another dimension of of this word salvation, another definition, another layer, and that is the, the sense of deliverance or victory or triumph. Triumph over evil and injustice and all the forces of evil that oppose the kingdom of God. This is God delivering His people from that. Injustice, evil, Death, the forces of darkness. God delivering His people. And we see as the revelation unfolds, God redeeming all of creation from these forces that oppose Him and His plans and purposes to redeem the world. And so this is a dimension of salvation that we look forward to in the future. This is a future dimension of salvation. The complete victory of God over injustice and evil. And John is giving us a glimpse of this future salvation as we look at these multitudes clothed in white praising God for this victory, for this salvation. And they are praising God for this because they have been the victims of evil and injustice and the forces of darkness. You see down there in verse 14, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are the martyrs. These are the ones who have been faithful to Christ even unto death. To say that their robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb is to say that they are made righteous through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But it also points to their faithfulness. That they are united to Christ who was the sacrificial Lamb. They are united to Christ. They have proved their Devotion to Christ, their union with Christ by obeying God even unto death, just as Christ did. And so they've demonstrated their faithfulness to him by giving their life for him. And God gives this vision of victorious martyrs in heaven so that Christians here on earth might endure in hope. So that we who face pressure and trials and temptations that are much less severe than what the martyrs have faced and are facing, we might be assured of God's ultimate victory and we might remain loyal to Him here and now. That our hearts might be lifted up because of this assurance that God's victory will come. When I mentioned central to this vision, And the theology of the book of Revelation is the throne of God. This image of the throne of God. It dominates, especially in these early chapters of Revelation. And again, think about the historical context. There was a 
emperor who sat on a throne in Rome. And eventually it got to the point that everybody had to worship this emperor, um, claim loyalty to him, offer a pinch of incense as a sacrifice to the emperor, or, or die. But John is saying, no, the real authority is God, the almighty creator. And he is still on the throne. He is the ultimate sovereign ruler. And he's in control of where history is headed. Not Caesar. He's in control. Richard Bauckham, a theologian, wrote on the theology of Revelation in his book. He says this. Listen to what he says. On earth, the powers of evil challenge God's role and even masquerade as the ultimate power. Masquerade as the ultimate power. But heaven is the sphere of ultimate reality. What is true in heaven must become true on earth. So this is the true reality. That God's rule must and will prevail on earth. His kingdom will come. His will will be done. Because he is the creator and Lord of all. He sits on the throne. What's true in heaven must become true on earth. God is on the throne. The lamb that was slain, the lamb that the rulers thought they had finally done away with, is risen. And he is by the throne. And he has defeated the powers of darkness and death. And salvation belongs to this God. The victory is assured. The enemy has not conceded defeat yet. The battle still rages. But John is saying it will come to an end. God is on the throne. And these martyrs, those who give their life for Christ, are witnessing in a profound way, in the most profound way, of their hope in this victory of God, the future victory of God. They give their life because they are assured of the salvation that is to come. They are the most compelling witnesses to this hope that we have throughout the history of Christianity, the martyrs. I don't know about you, but when I hear the stories of the martyrs, in times past and in our present day. I am so challenged to be faithful to Christ through the temptations and the doubt and the difficulty that I face, which is so minor compared to what they're going through. Just last week, I mean, we could tell, tell a lot of stories about this, what's happening in our world today. Just last week in Burkina Faso, Western nation, terrorists on motorcycles attacked a small Assemblies of God church. After the service, people were gathering in the courtyard. And these terrorists came brandishing their weapons to the courtyard, the small church. And they demanded conversion to Islam or death. And this is in a region where that hasn't happened before. The government officials, the church leaders are saying there's been peaceful existence, but something's changing. The pastor who was there had been threatened before. And he refused to leave. He'd been there for decades. And he said, I'm not leaving. I'm going to stay. I'm going to preach. They took him 
and five other members and said, convert or die. And he chose to be faithful to Christ. And he was shot. The AG leader in that region, the Assemblies of God leader in that region says this. He said, I am telling our people, do not take revenge. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. The God we serve is a God of love. He invites us to love our neighbor. He invites us to love our enemies. And then this AG leader, he says, let us be sentinels. <laughs> let us be guards. Let us be watchmen. Let us bear witness to another reality. Let us be sentinels and God will do the rest to the glory of his name. The martyrs are such a witness to this hope and this assurance that challenge us today, encourage us today. They're living according to this vision of an ultimate reality. John's vision assures us of ultimate salvation. And then God's vision here that he gave to John assures us that God will give his people a shepherd, a shepherd. This is for the martyrs. So certainly this is the context here. And they do have, I think, a high status in heaven because of their sacrifice. They are a special class, if you will. But really this vision about the lamb who will be their shepherd in this beautiful passage of Scripture, verses 15 through 17, really applies to the, the people of God as a whole. You see that at the end of the book of Revelation, that the city of God is filled with God's presence and God's protection and God's provision for all of God's people. And that's what we see here. God provides a shepherd. Verse 17, for the lamb is in the midst of the throne. The lamb that is in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The lamb becomes the shepherd. Isn't that an interesting image? That's what caught my attention as I started thinking about this passage of Scripture and this theme for today, which we call Good Shepherd Sunday. The lamb becomes the leader. The lamb becomes the shepherd of his people. How can that be? Well, Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. And then he explained why he is good, because I lay down my life for the sheep, for my sheep. And he is pointing, of course, to his sacrifice, to his death on the cross, where he, he says, makes it very clear, I willingly lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes my life from me. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up. What a claim. <laughs> Many people could say I have the authority to lay my life down. But he says I have authority also to take it up. He is the Lord of life. And he says, I give my life for the sheep. That's why he is the good shepherd. A good shepherd would be willing to risk his life to save his sheep against predators. Like wolves or lions. Put his life on the line for his sheep. And that's what Jesus did. He saved us from great danger by his sacrifice. And so he is worthy to have a flock. He is worthy to be our leader. He is worthy to be our good shepherd. He saved us from grave danger, the danger of separation from God because of sin. 
The danger of eternal death. The danger of enslavement to sin and evil powers. Christ laid down His life as the Good Shepherd to save us from that grave danger. Some people today have a difficult time making sense of why it was necessary for Jesus to lay down His life to save His people. Why couldn't God just say to the world, you're all forgiven. Send us an email. Put it out on social media. Everyone's forgiven. Why the sacrifice? Why the great price? Why the cost? Why the blood? The precious blood of Christ. Serious danger often demands a great sacrifice. And we are in serious danger apart from Christ. We see that in our world today. To be saved from serious danger often requires heroic sacrifice. I don't know if you saw this last week. There was a story of a young man in North Carolina at the college. There was a shooting. This young man was part of the ROTC program, I think. And when he saw that shooter, he took it upon himself to charge him. And he took the fight to this guy. And this young man was shot three times, three times before he died. But because of his sacrifice, he saved many people from perishing. And he was given military, a military funeral. And he's been hailed as a hero, and rightly so, because he made a great sacrifice to save people from great danger. And this is what God has done for us. Jesus perfect God and perfect man, the perfect Lamb of God, made a sacrifice that we could never make to save us from danger. Separation from God. And so He is worthy. He is worthy to be the leader. He is worthy to be the shepherd of this flock which He purchased with His blood. This is our shepherd. The King of love. Our shepherdess. And so it is right to give him thanks and praise. It is right for us to do what they are doing now in heaven, which is worshiping God and proclaiming his greatness for the salvation that he has won for his people. What is going on in heaven is what we ought to be doing here on earth in response to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. This is a dress rehearsal. For how we'll be spending eternity. And they are worshiping the Lord. They are falling on their faces before Him. They are proclaiming His greatness. And they are serving Him day and night in the temple. And so we have this great hope, friends, that the One who died to give us life will one day lead us to the, I love this, the very source of life. He will guide them to the springs of living water. He is the source of life. He is the source of this living water. And He is going to finally lead us one day to that very source which is His presence. We drink of things in this world which satisfy for a time, but then it wears off. And that speaks to us of a longing for something more. For something more. I was at a a carnival or kids... School has a carnival every year at the end of school. And uh, these food trucks come. And uh, it's always very tempting when you see these food trucks. It's kind of embarrassing to talk about. I thought, I'm just going to get a couple of things, maybe just one thing. So I went to the gourmet coffee food truck. And I thought, well, that's it. I'm just going to enjoy this 
cup of coffee, and that was good. But then I looked over and I saw the funnel cakes. So I had to go over and try the funnel cake with my, my three-year-old Sam, and we split the funnel cake until he really got to liking the funnel cake, and then I could only have like a quarter of it. And he said, Come on. I introduced him to funnel cakes. So that was it for me. Uh, but then I saw this other food truck, and they were selling French fries, and that looked pretty good. So I'm trying to, you know, satisfy my desire, my craving. I stopped at the French fries. <coughs> this world is filled with so many things that we think, if I just have a taste of this, this will finally satisfy. But we just move on from one thing to the next. What is that teaching us? There's a desire, there's a thirst that cannot be filled in this world. But there's a source of that who is God, the source of life. And He will lead us there. The shepherd will lead us there. This is what we have to look forward to. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Anybody here shed a tear recently? Tears of, of pain, of regret, sorrow, grief, disappointment, loneliness, Frustration. Those things will be gone because they're not part of the reality of God's life and the life that He will share with us. C.S. Lewis, at the end of his life, he, uh, he had a heart attack and then he lapsed into a coma. And then he rallied, he revived. And he lived for a few more months after that. And he wrote to a friend, and he said, it's such a shame that i got to go through that again. I was right there at the gate. And the gate was shut. And he said, poor Lazarus. <laughs> he was thinking of Lazarus. And then he wrote to another friend during this time as he was getting to the end. This is a lady who was anxious about the, uh, the suffering that she was going through and her body was breaking down. And he said, you know, if we believe, if we really believe what we say we believe, then we shouldn't be afraid. We can trust the eternal God underneath are His everlasting arms. We can trust that His Word is true. We can even look forward to the arrival, he said. We can look forward to the arrival. He didn't have a death wish by any means, but, but he died trusting that God's Word is true. He died trusting that this vision is true. He died trusting that there is... Life beyond this life, which is life eternal, which is the real life, where the fountain of life is. That's what he died trusting. And if there is a God who loves us, and this God has proven his love to us in Christ, this is how the story has to end. God who loves his people will love them for eternity. In the new heaven and new earth. So, hearts up. Lift up your hearts, whatever you're going through. Brothers and sisters, lift up your hearts. Be encouraged by this vision. Amen. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word to us. We thank you, God, for revealing in so many ways in Scripture, even through this vision that you gave the Apostle John, the truth that sets us free and gives us hope. Help us to live with that now, throughout this week, and the rest of our days. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.